Hello and welcome to another podcast presented by the Medical Council of New South Wales. In this episode, we're discussing medical records. Our expert panel has valuable insights into why keeping accurate and organised medical records is an important issue for all doctors. And what are the expectations from regulators and insurers? Your host for this podcast, Dr. Martine Walker, a GP and long-term hearing member and medical advisor for the Medical Council of New South Wales. I'm Dr. Martine Walker. Today we're joined by two special guests to discuss medical records. Dr. Patrick Clancy has been a general practitioner and emergency department doctor for over 25 years. As a senior medical advisor for Advant, he assists doctors in medical legal matters. He's a regular writer and presenter on minimising the risks faced by doctors. Dr. Candice Newbury has been a GP for over 30 years and a hearing member for the Medical Council of New South Wales for six. Until recently, she was also a health curriculum designer and teacher at Macquarie University. Thank you to both of you for joining me here today. Hello, Martine. Hello, Martine. I'd like to start by asking you about the role medical records play in your everyday working life. Let's start with you, Patrick. Yeah, thanks, Martine. So I'm a medical advisor at the Medical Defence Organisation Avant. One of our core roles is to assist member doctors when they request assistance in relation to things like regulatory complaints, civil claims, coroner's cases and Medicare issues. Medical advisors there sometimes perform a bit of an interpreter's role where we sort of translate between lawyers and member doctors uh, just so that each can understand each other's line of thinking. Uh, When a member doctor initially contacts us for assistance on a specific matter, often one of the first things we'll request is a copy of the medical record. The records are, hopefully, a contemporaneous record of what has occurred in clinical consultations. And we know that these records are likely to be examined by other relevant parties whether it's regulators or lawyers for the other side or even Medicare. And you, Candice? Well, look, for me, records are really a critical part of quality practice. You know, they're critical to good communication with your staff and with your colleagues and with your people you refer to. So that's written and um, verbal communication are so important these days. And I don't think I realised the importance of that when I started in medicine many years ago. We focus much more now on the multidisciplinary approach to medicine and um, the importance of the written record has become greater as we need to communicate effectively with all our allied health and uh, other practitioners. As part of the work that I do as a hearing member at the Medical Council of New South Wales, I I assess records for specialists and GPs. So I'm familiar with the wide range of records that are out there. If there are good records that I'm reading, I'm, I'm reassured that the doctor's doing a good job and I can be confident that uh, there isn't too much to worry about. If the records are very poor, it, it's much harder to gain that confidence that the doctor's actually doing a good job, that they're taking a good history, examining the patient and formulating a sensible uh, management plan. So the record is really key to my uh, work at the council. Yeah. And I'm really glad that we're talking about medical records today because when I think back over the last 20 years of my practice, probably the biggest change has been in medical records, both in terms of the standard that's expected and also electronic records. They're amazing. There's no way. Remember those little pads of A5 cards that were stapled together and very closely written? There's no way that that would be acceptable or satisfactory now. I agree with that, Martine, although we do still see some of those dreadful A5 cards. 
Um, but but now, as Candice has said, with the often multidisciplinary teams, more complex medicine and more litigations, our medical records are no longer just an aid memoir for an individual doctor. As the legislation says, the medical records must contain enough info to allow another doctor to understand what's gone before and continue on with the patient's care. Also, the Medical Board of Australia has their code of conduct that all Australian doctors, even ones in New South Wales, uh, must abide by, which known as good medical practice, a code of conduct for doctors in Australia. And that's got a similar list of requirements in relation to medical records. And of course, we've always got that well-known saying amongst medico-legal teams that no notes equals no defence. And what about you, Candice? Look, I agree, those handwritten scrawled records really aren't up to scratch. Um, The electronic record provides us with easily legible records, ease of navigation around the records, and I really don't miss fumbling around with the paper records to find results from months ago. They're very easy to find in the electronic record. That's very true. I think electronic records are are fantastic, but it hasn't come without teething problems, has it, Candice? Can you tell us about some of those teething problems? Well, I'm old enough to remember the transition between the the written and the electronic record, and it wasn't easy, um, and there was a steep learning curve, and some of us adapted faster than others, but it's been well worth it. You know, and it's not without its problems, though, because with the transition from handwriting to typing, some people adapted quickly, some people are still adapting to that. I still encounter doctors who say the reason for their very brief and often inadequate records is that they can't type fast enough. And, you know, there are solutions to this. I really don't think it's a defence that I can't type fast enough. There are online resources that can help you learn to type faster. Um, But I've also seen doctors um, using voice recognition software. And the programs are really quite intuitive now. They don't require you to do any training as they did do in the old days. They work straight out of the box. So that if you really can't type, I, I do think that that's quite a good solution. I think one of the other things too that I've found difficult is adjusting to that eye contact concept that when you're handwriting it's much easier to keep contact with your your patients to keep eye contact whereas when you're typing there's much more a sense that there's a third person in the room that um, that your focus is distracted by the um, the computer. That's true and um, if you spend too much time typing whilst the patient's in the room they can perceive that as rude or dismissive or or unhelpful. If you're spending all the time looking at the patient well then you're not accessing some of the results or, and you're not able to type up until they've left the room. So it really is a difficult balance for most of us to achieve the connection with the patient and make the record. Patrick, what are your thoughts about electronic records? Uh, they've been around for quite a while now and um, even if people weren't early adopters of it, they, they've known that it's coming and they've known that it's here. So um, if, if people are using electronic records, I think in this current era, it's perfectly reasonable to expect that they're able to use them properly, whether it's typing or being able to use voice recognition software. And and similarly, even still doing good old-fashioned paper records, it's reasonable to expect that people can write legibly there as well. Also with the electronic records, I think doctors have got to know how to use their software and what the capabilities of that software are, because there are quite a lot of settings in there. Um, which do help, but they also sometimes hinder. Mm. That's where I think a lot of corridor and lunchroom conversations are useful in terms of tips and tricks in the use of your electronic software. There's also a lot of help available from the software providers, from your primary health network, if you're a GP, to assist you in using your software to the, to the optimal level. 
So knowing how important medical records are, Candice, would you discuss the types of information that medical records should include? Okay, well, there's actually legislative um, requirement for what should be in a medical record. And at a minimum, the record should have background information such as allergies, social history and um, medication, medical history, smoking and alcohol use. And then at each encounter, there should be a clear documentation of a history, examination, if it was done, uh, diagnosis and differentials should be documented, plus a plan for tests and further management. In other words, your clinical thinking should be clearly communicated to the reader. For instance, it's not acceptable to note that a patient had a nosebleed and a CT brain was ordered. We need to understand what the thinking was that led you to order that test. The reader needs to be able to understand how you came to that conclusion. Mm. You need to be able to pick up that record and follow on and know why things were done. Exactly. And if there's a procedure that's uh, occurred, the record would need to include the nature of the treatment given information on risks that was given to the patient and the consent process that was followed, Uh, then a record of who was involved in giving the treatment and its exact nature, plus the details of anaesthetics, of uh, tissue sent for pathology and so on, plus the follow-up. I also think one of the things that we always look for when we're looking at medical records is that safety netting aspect of records. What plan has the doctor made to make sure that if something adverse happens or if further unexpected things happen, what can the patient do? What should the patient do? I think it's also important too to remember that patients are entitled to access to their medical records. So it's really important that we make sure that we keep that in mind when we're making notes and comments. And some of the things that we used to write in medical records, I remember as a hospital doctor, wouldn't cut it now. (laughs) So... Let's talk about some of the errors we're seeing when it comes to record keeping. Um, Candice, again, I might start with you. Brevity is the big problem here. Often doctors have discussed important side effects of drugs or procedures but not documented them. And if there's a problem down the track, there's no proving that it happened. And that really is a problem for the patient and it's a problem for you if you're the one who's done that. Illegible writing, you know, the day of the handwritten records coming to an end, but you know, if you are still handwriting records, please make them legible. Another one would be not using software appropriately. There are um, macros where you can just click one button and the whole paragraph comes up. And that might include something like vocal frematus and percussion note have been tested and trachea is central and whatever. You know, if you haven't done all that stuff, please don't put it in the records. It really has to be a record of what you did on the day. And curiously, too much information can also be a problem. If you have a doctor writing an essay, and I have seen this, for each patient, well, it's really difficult to extract the critical parts of that consultation as a doctor following up on that patient, to be able to be really aware of what, what was the crucial presenting factor the, and the plan that was made, if it's hidden amongst a whole paragraph. Mm, autofill can be really dangerous. And Patrick, what, what errors do you see when you're looking at medical records? Yeah, Martine, uh, the, the single biggest theme is that there's either no or scant information in those clinical records. The lawyers and the claims managers at, at medical defence organisations want to see the records and when they see what's in the records, that'll really heavily influence how the doctors are assisted further and what sort of approach is taken. We know that regulatory authorities all probably want to see the notes and and we can almost guess what they're going to say about it. Uh, We do know that the the regulators will frequently propose conditions to address inadequate notes. 
sometimes in the form of a requirement to do some education on record keeping. And, and that'll actually occur even if the regulators haven't got a clue what else has gone on because the notes are just um, so poor. On the flip side, when a doctor seemed to have good notes, it's reassuring to readers of those notes that the doctor is thorough, almost like the vibe, which is a great Australian legal term. Um, I was involved in a civil claim a few years ago where a patient had an unfortunate outcome after an acute illness. One of the doctors we were assisting at Avant had seen a patient with quite an unusual set of symptoms and had written several absolutely wonderful pages of notes, things like full systems reviews, which was appropriate given the, the unusual presentation, the fact that the patient was one of those ones that one of those patients who looked unwell but couldn't really work out why they were unwell. So the record looked really good, but I could actually see that the actual tiny crucial bit of the examination that pertained to what the patient's poor outcome was, was actually missing in the examination. Having said that, the notes were just so good, the doctor appeared to be an extremely credible witness and they were not criticised by the patient's lawyers and they weren't criticising the judgment. So it was really just a great example of if you write good notes that, that you do appear to be quite a good doctor, so to speak. Mm, good notes, um, good defence. Yeah, absolutely. I've got a couple of other issues that we do see. One is that people who write complaints often include a long list of allegations that are quite peripheral to the core issue. So again, if the notes are good, that'll invariably help to impart to regulators that the doctors are un undertaking consultations to quite an acceptable standard and, and a lot of those other peripheral allegations are actually untrue. And one other thing we do see a lot is issues relating to Medicare billings. Doctors are in the sites of Medicare um, for their billings, especially if they are noted to have possibly erred or possibly overbilled or incorrectly billed. Again, there, the clinical record is vitally important. It's essential that the contents of the notes correspond to what you've actually billed with Medicare. Mm. The notes are really the only objective witness, aren't they, to to help justify the, the Medicare billing that you've billed if you come into the sites of the PSR? Mm. And those notes are examined very thoroughly at the time. And, and if a doctor appears in front of the PSR committee, they have to be able to justify what's in the notes and also justify what's in their billings on every single consultation that is looked at. Mm. Another area that we see quite a lot, another area of concern that we see quite a lot in medical legal work and regulatory work is hybrid notes where there's part of the record that's written in an electronic note and part of the record that's recorded on paper. What are your thoughts about hybrid notes, Candice? Well, for me, they're a bit of a red flag really. In our work at the council, we're looking for errors and how they've occurred errors that might have been in the record keeping, might have been in the uh, clinical thinking, might have been in the clinical knowledge. But the hybrid note is a bit of a red flag because information goes missing. Information is not clearly communicated. And that, you know, it, it's not necessary to have hybrid notes these days. Either maintain just your paper notes or jump ship to electronic, but make it a clean jump and put everything in your computer. Yeah, such an opportunity for things to fall between the seats. Patrick, your thoughts on hybrid notes? Again, they are very difficult to follow and it's amazing when you do see a set of notes, sometimes you'll go, there must be something else somewhere and go back to the doctor and the doctor goes, oh, yeah, I've got this other stuff over here somewhere else, which is actually quite good when they do have that because it does help form part of their defence. But if It comes back to that issue of the standard of could another doctor take easily take over the care of a patient based on those medical records, doesn't it? And the regulators themselves get caught up from time to time because, as you know, the, the regulators 
uh, a group of individuals. Uh, some of them are medical practitioners and some will be community members. And they sometimes they miss the fact that there might be two sets of notes. A classic example is when a patient's been seen by a GP in a nursing home. And so some notes are written at the nursing home and then the GP goes back to the practice and, and does prescriptions or so on from the practice. Sometimes it's difficult to put those two sets of notes together, especially when the consultation time is recorded differently and so on. Mm. So, Patrick, in your role with Advant, you have a focus on minimising risk for doctors. If you were to suggest improvements that doctors could make or changes that they could make in their record-keeping, what would you suggest? First and foremost, just be mindful that any clinical record you make can be read by others. So it's got to contain all that adequate information that Candice went through earlier. I can't emphasise enough that I really think it's worth every doctor having a read of the Medical Board's Code of Conduct for Doctors. It does cover those requirements. It's a really easy read and it's just, it just makes you turn your mind to, am I writing correct notes or, or is there somewhere where I could improve those? The notes need to be able to facilitate continuity of care and that even if you are a solo practitioner and nobody else really ever reads your notes... They still need to be able to be read by others and, and they need to understand what's going on there. Because what if you fell off the perch tomorrow? Or if somebody takes over your practice or a locum comes in or a regulator needs to read them. Again, it'll be doctors working with the regulators who, who need to be able to understand what's going on there. Another tip I've got there that we do see a fair bit is if a patient declines your recommended management, document it and document it carefully. It's not surprising that how often patients get a poor outcome when they won't follow the advice that their doctor has given them. And it's also not surprising that then they turn around and they want to blame someone. So if you have actually explained something to someone and they've declined that and it's perfectly reasonable for you to have recommended that path of action, then again, that is your great defence. Just one other tip I've got, Martine, is doctors can always do further education in relation to record keeping. I know at Avant, we've got some pretty thorough online education resources and they're useful for any doctor to do electively. You do get CPD points for it. And we're constantly re reviewing that education in response to any changes or any emerging issues and so on. The other time that we do think it's really good for doctors to do that education is in circumstances where we have identified through any sort of matter that record keeping is an issue for the individual doctors. We really encourage those doctors to get in and do the education. And part of the reason for that is the display of insight for doing that education and recognising that there's been a problem and there's a willingness to improve in those doctors. It's actually looked upon favourably by the regulators because uh, they can demonstrate that that doctor's not going to be a risk moving forward. Mm, it shows a level of insight, doesn't it? Absolutely. So, Candice, do you have any tips and tricks about effective record keeping? Look, I believe everybody capable of making good records. Allocating time for record keeping is my key tip. If you can't make notes at the time of the consultation, make a breather, a space later in the day to, to catch up, to review your records, just check that you've done a good job, that check that somebody else could understand what, what you've written down and ask yourself, you know, have I recorded all the main points that uh, occurred in that consultation? So allowing time for making notes Many of the doctors who run into trouble are very, very busy and they try and catch up and do their records at the end of the day. They, they miss critical decisions that they made at the time. They may have clearly discussed problems. If they don't write them down, it, it's not there. We don't know you did it. So allocating enough time to make records is my key recommendation. Mm, and I think that maybe 
um, having a space every six or eight consultations, a, a catch-up space, which is not only an opportunity to go and get a cup of coffee, but maybe an opportunity to make sure that your records are, are completed is, is a really sensible thing to do. I think that's right. You know, prioritising this, we can always improve our record keeping. I continually try and read my records as if I'm a third party. Does this really convey what happened in the consultation? Does this really allow a regulator to see this is a 36 consultation that I've covered a number of different issues in this consultation. I'm always looking at what I've done to try and um, improve what, what's in the record uh, because, as we've pointed out, records are changing from the very brief records we used to make years ago to something much more comprehensive now. So I think the takeaway from today's podcast are, one, that good medical records are crucial in providing safe and effective care, that good medical records will be your protection when lawyers or regulators come to call, that I think at this stage of the game that electronic records, particularly in general practice, are almost industry standard, and that if you're using electronic records, it's critical that you learn how to use your system properly and ideally don't use hybrid notes. Candice and Patrick, thank you for sharing your knowledge and experience with us today. Yeah, thanks again, Martine. Thank you, Martine. You've been listening to our special feature on medical records, presented by the Medical Council of New South Wales. You can access various links and resources in the episode description box, located right here on your podcast player. And if you'd like further information on any of the content in this podcast, you can also contact the Medical Council of New South Wales via their website, mcnsw.org.au.